Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your RV, your earbuds, however and wherever you're listening, welcome, and uh, thanks for hanging out. It's very comforting to know you're out there listening. A, uh, a quick shout-out to a very young, devoted fan uh, who lives in the uh, Denver, Colorado area. Uh, I've been in communication with uh, Andrew McAllister, and um, he and his um, uh, wife have a young son named Calum, who is a, a big fan of the program. And Calum, uh, you've probably heard me uh, speak of him a number of times in the program, is celebrating a birthday today, and he is in Florida as part of a, a Make-A-Wish, uh, the Make-A-Wish uh, Foundation trip uh, out to Florida. So Calum, uh, and I understand he's up late. What a trooper. Uh, Calum, of course, bad sir. And uh, I think, uh, by all accounts, kicking its butt. Uh, so Calum, if you're listening, happy birthday, little fellow. And God bless you. And uh, have a great time. Uh, have a great time in uh, Florida. Just soak it all in and enjoy every moment. You deserve it. And uh, so too uh, does your um, your mom and dad. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's official. It is uh, now just after midnight, and that means three provisions of the uh, U.S. Patriot Act have now expired. That's right. There was a sunset clause written into the Patriot Act, and the biggest and most controversial of the provisions to expire just a moment ago uh, is the government's sweeping powers under Section 215 that allow the NSA to collect telephone metadata on millions of Americans and probably some Canadians as well uh, and store that data for five years. Well, now that's gone. It has been, it has expired, at, at least temporarily. For how long? I can't say. Uh, but is there anyone who believes that simply because the provision had a sunset clause built in and it is now sunset, that the NSA is going to suddenly stop collecting telephone metadata on millions of Americans? Well, if you believe that, then I've got some soggy bottom land in southwest Florida for sale. Uh, who knows? Perhaps uh, we'll, um, we'll get Joel Skousen back on the program at some point to discuss. Actually, Joel Skousen will be back uh, on the program. It's been a while. Joel will be with us in a couple of weeks uh, to talk about Jade Helm 15. Uh, I've been receiving just dozens and dozens of emails every week uh, and tweets, people asking, when are we going to talk about Jade Helm 15? Well, we will in a couple of weeks when uh, Joel Skousen, the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, will drop by. All right, uh, I want to uh, jump right in uh, to tonight's discussion because we have so little time. I, I mentioned this many times. I really need a four-hour show at least five nights a week, maybe seven to get it all said. In fact, uh, what often happens is that I bring certain guests back on uh, for part two and sometimes part three um, just to continue on and get all the information out there. A couple of months ago, Dr. Richard Sauter joined us via Skype from his uh, home in Central America uh, to discuss secret underground and undersea bases. Now, much of the interview, if you recall, was plagued with technical difficulties, interruptions. We kept losing the connection, although many of you no doubt suspected something more nefarious was afoot. Uh, as it turns out, this sort of thing tends to happen whenever Dr. Sauter uh, is invited onto radio programs for interviews. So as promised, we're bringing Dr. Sauter back on Fingers crossed we can maintain contact, although, as I just mentioned, apparently now we have a window. As of midnight tonight, we're, su we're supposedly free to talk without NSA tracking, as if. Uh, Dr. Richard Sauter is a native Virginian with an abiding interest in Fortiana, unusual information and anomalous paradigm-busting data of all varieties. Uh, beginning in early childhood, he, was he has experienced first-hand contact with a variety of paranormal phenomena, that have left him a bit puzzled, flummoxed, and thoroughly persuaded that there's much more to the earth and to human perception and consciousness than the mainstream American culture believes. Some of Richard's favorite research and reading interests are underground and underwater bases and tunnels, electronic mind control, freedom technology, UFOs, human prehistory, and remote antiquity, international politics, 
the kundalini energy and alternative thought patterns. We're going to talk about underground bases, undersea bases, how far far down do they go, what leaks are coming from the classified world, what is the U.S. Navy plan for beneath the ocean floor, are there bases beneath the ocean, what's going on beneath Washington, D.C., for example, are there high-speed underground maglev systems, what is the connection with UFOs and the alien question, Richard Sauter's Hidden in Plain Sight is a book that truly goes where no other book has gone before. And hopefully we have uh, connected with Dr. Richard Sauter. Richard, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. Terrific. And uh, we'll hope uh, that the connection lasts. Now, uh, just uh, remind me, are you in Ecuador? I am. I'm in Ecuador. Ecuador is um, on the northwestern coast of South America. I've been here almost five years and um, interestingly, I heard your intro about the NSA. I don't believe a word of what the NSA and the federal government are saying about them ceasing their uh, collection activities or surveillance activities of electronic communication at, at midnight um, tonight. Um, that's not going to happen. The NSA is and has been since its inception, a rogue agency, and massively so. For what, so whatever they say, you may safely presume that they are going to do 180 degrees, the polar opposite. Yeah, I've uh, I've pretty well baked that into the equation. Likewise, I, I don't buy it that just because uh, it expired that, that that's going to stop them. Uh, well, you know, I am I am seeking political refuge. In Ecuador, and I've been engaged in this process almost uh, two years. One of the aspects, and so it begins. Uh, did we lose him, or did, is he just? Do we have a, a streaming issue, Tim? Oh, just seems to be an internet connection problem on his end. So, Doctor Sauter, if uh, you're there, please respond. Are you there, Doctor Sauter? It sounds like he may have dropped off. Okay, he's trying to reconnect. Let me just remind uh, those of you just joining us. Uh, Dr. Richard Sauter is with us. His new book is Hidden in Plain Sight, a book that truly goes where no book has gone before in discussing uh, underground bases. And you can hear the uh, the pinging in the background. That is Dr. Sauter trying to reconnect uh, all the way from Ecuador. Uh, why don't we throw open the phone lines while we're waiting for Dr. Sauter uh, and if you have questions or comments for him regarding underground bases, their location, uh, and what might be going on uh, beneath the waves in some instances. Some of these bases supposedly are actually located beneath the ocean floor, if you can believe it. Is this where trillions of dollars of uh, black op budget money has gone into building these underground bases? And for what purpose? We'll get to that with uh, Dr. Richard Sauter. Let me give you the phone numbers right now, and you can start to line up. Uh, 416, this is in the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-800, sorry, it's 866 740 Four seven forty. Let me give you that one to you uh, one more time. This is toll free from just about anywhere. One eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Now, on the off chance that we are not able to reconnect with Dr. Richard Sauter, uh, and we'll keep trying, no doubt. Uh, let me ask you about this provision two fifteen, section two fifteen of the uh, Patriot Act, which has just expired moments ago. A sunset clause, whether you're living on either side of the uh, the 49th parallel, if you're American or you're Canadian, what are your thoughts? Do you, in fact, believe that the NSA will cease and assist in collecting telephone metadata? And I believe, uh, for the record, that that does not just include Americans only. I'm quite confident uh, that there is some sort of an arrangement which allows the NSA to also collect the um, telephone metadata of Canadians. But as I mentioned, at the top of the hour, one minute past midnight, and Section 215, along with uh, two other provisions, uh, but this is the uh, perhaps the most controversial 
and sweeping power under the U.S. Patriot Act. Uh, Section 215 allows the National Security Agency to collect telephone metadata and store it for five years. That is now gone, at least temporarily. For how long? Hard to say. Some of you may be thinking, as I am thinking, that that's not even going to happen. They will continue to collect metadata, with or without an active Section 215. 416-360-0740, if you'd like to talk about that. 416-360-0740, that's in the Greater Toronto Area, and toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. We can talk about the uh, the NSA and the Patriot Act, uh, or if you'd like to uh, to get on the phone and line up in anticipation of us rejoining Dr. Richard Sauter to talk, uh, Richard Sauter to talk about underground bases, uh, we can do that as well. Let's begin with Richard in Baltimore. Richard, good morning. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good morning, Richard. Uh, I'm a uh, uh, member on your your uh, Facebook uh, page there. Oh, the website. Yeah. RichardSarah.com. Um, Great. I have one quick question for you. A, a few minutes ago, you were talking about the underground bases and the uh, black budget uh, funding, and I just wanted to ask you if you think uh, a lot of the uh, secret technology, uh, which some people would uh, really contribute attribute to the government, the U.S. government, um, but I think a lot of that is in the hands of the global elite. And do you think that what's happening with the black budget money is it's actually the American taxpayers who are paying for all of this, but the global elite are reaping the rewards, and they're not spending a dime of their own money? Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I, I, when, we, when we talk about uh, the, uh, the elites or the unelected oligarchs, uh, we are talking about a group of individuals who have no allegiance to, to the nation-state. In fact, they are actively engaged in trying to destroy uh, the nation-state because there's nothing uh, that inhibits the free flow of capital uh, than the nation-state, uh, borders and, and, and uh, separate jurisdictions with their own regulations and so forth. Now, we do have Dr. Richard Sauter uh, back. Uh, are you there, uh, Richard? Yes. You know, unfortunately, no sooner did I begin to talk about the NSA than our connection was cut. And, um, <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I want to say about the NSA yes. that they do have some very large and elaborate underground facilities. One of them is under their headquarters in Laurel, Maryland, between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore on the on the east coast of North America. And... This is an elaborate facility that goes down, I've been told, 20 levels or more and spreads out acres on each level, each level full of science fiction-like banks of supercomputers. Uh, and is this where uh, the collect? Do you, is this where the collection of this telephone metadata is taking place? In well, that's one of the places. One of the places. You have to understand they also have another facility on the border between Virginia and West Virginia. And uh, it's a, an NSA uh, downlink facility from satellites. Um, it's uh, Green Cove Springs, I think, is the name of it. And it is um, a, an underground facility where they also have uh, – it's jointly run with the United States Navy. All right, uh, Richard, I, I have to jump in. Thanks for reconnecting yes. with us. We're going to head into a break. We'll come back. Stay where you are. We pray, and uh, we'll continue to talk about uh, underground bases, and uh, maybe we can touch on Richard from Baltimore's question about how these things are funded. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show in a moment. Stay with us. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And joining us live via Skype from his home in Ecuador is uh, Dr. Richard Sauter, who is the world's premier investigator of underground bases and tunnels. And uh, uh, we had a caller from uh, Richard in Baltimore, I think, uh, who's still on the line, uh, Richard, and he's asking about how these things are being paid for. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, trillions of dollars that would be poured into these bases, siphoned off, uh, 
uh, taxpayer, you know, uh, from the U.S. Treasury, uh, and being paid for substantially or, or, or ostensibly rather by by taxpayers. Well, you know, uh, they get money. They suck money from anywhere they can. Uh, they're equal opportunity thieves and criminals. We're talking about criminality on a massively mind-bending scale. The average person cannot even wrap their head around it. If I've done uh, in past years uh, research, uh, budget research, and you can see that there are in publicly available documents billions up to a few tens of billions of dollars per year being siphoned on off for classified programs. So that's one area in which they get their money. Um, but a lot of it is quite simply stolen. You know, they make money the old-fashioned way. They just go out and steal it by, by the train load full. And through Wall Street, through drug sales, through trafficking of and sale, sale, the sale of anything – that can be trafficked and sold, whether it's diamonds or gold or, or petroleum or weapons, uh, harvesting human organs, human trafficking. They get money any way they can by means fair or foul and usually by, by foul means, by criminal means, by uncommonly criminal means. No one knows exactly the amount of money involved in the underground base construction and maintenance and also the uh, undersea facilities, uh, it's impossible to tell because there is no public uh, open paper trail. I think we can safely presume it runs not just into the tens of billions of dollars or hundreds of billions of dollars, but as you have observed, uh, quite certainly into the trillions of dollars, and I would add, I don't know if you've ever interviewed Dr. Joseph Farrell. Oh, many times. He's a good friend. Good friend. Well, okay. Uh, Joseph has done some very interesting research uh, in recent years. He's always uh, writing something new, if not two or three somethings new. That's true. I've never met a more prolific author in my life. Well, you know, wind him up and watch him go. The the thing is that he and other researchers, including including me – have um, noticed this now for years. One of the things that Donald Rumsfeld said in, just before the day of the infamous 9-11 attacks in, in 2001 was that by some estimates, the Pentagon cannot account for over $2 trillion in spending. And that's true, but it's not just $2 trillion. It's unknown trillions of dollars. It's so much Worse than what he said, that was a limited hangout. The reality is that this thing called the United States government, and including the NSA, which WAGs often say means, means no such agency, is a rogue entity. It is a vast uh, globe-spanning criminal mafia of unimaginable proportions. In fact, as Joseph Farrell's research suggests and those of others, and as my many conversations have suggested as well, uh, this criminality almost certainly extends off the planet to other nearby um, bodies such as the moon and the Mars and perhaps even further afield, further afield in the solar system and beyond. It's very difficult to tell. But I can tell you in my own research I've run across some some um, some articles and studies in the geological uh, and geological engineering and mining engineering re- uh, literature, for example, that speaks of mining on the moon as one example. Hmm. And even in my first book, I I have a brief um, uh, reference toward the end of my first book of one document that I obtained pertaining to subsalines, which are, are in the literature that I saw uh, in concept are nuclear-powered tunnel boring machines that would be taken to the moon and would be used there to make tunnels for whatever reasons that the uh, this secret uh, high-tech civilization that Joseph Farrell and some others talk about would have for right. doing that. a breakaway but civilization. I also, yes, I, I actually cite the dollar figure that they gave in that particular document for transporting 
one of these machines to the moon. And mind you, the subsaline, which is called a subterrane here on Earth, is a, is a huge machine, nuclear-powered. It's hundreds of feet long, and the cutting head of this thing could be anywhere from 10, 15 to 20 or 30 feet in diameter. So they're very large, very heavy, multi-ton machines. You would not take something like that to the moon with conventional rockets. It would be extremely prohibitively expensive and difficult. I'm presuming, and I have for some time, that this uh, parallel uh, parallel um, human civilization, really, that exists cheek by jowl with our, our uh, publicly acknowledged technology and, and social structure, has other technology I would guess to going to the moon and maybe to Mars and maybe even farther into the solar system than that and maybe even to other solar systems. You know, a lot of people have seen these big, huge flying black triangles over the years. Right, right. Which cer- certainly are not conventional aerospace technology, whatever they are. I would guess they are a terrestrial technology since they are seen on and about the Earth in near-Earth airspace, including... Uh, most famously probably in Belgium about 10 or 15 years right. ago. Right, Steven, Stevensville, uh, Texas. No, in no? Belgium they were seen. No, but also in, in – uh, but were they not okay. also seen in, in Stevensville, Texas and, and well, uh, perhaps – Richard, the stuff, the stuff that was seen in Stevensville, Texas and also some other places was just vast. Right. People, uh, it, yeah, like a box store floating oh, just, suddenly, just huge. silently, oh, just, silent. Just huge stuff. Uh, some of it at almost treetop level, just vast mammoth structures that are you cannot explain by conventional aerospace technology. I think that um, <clears throat> a lot of this stuff is terrestrial and that there is more than one terrestrial faction. From what I've seen, and you know I'm, I'm a conventional writer, author, and researcher, and I do have conventional academic degrees from – um, a number of large universities in the United States. But I also am a visionary in some respects in that beginning in early childhood, I, I have had a wide variety of paranormal experiences. And, and we will talk about the bone lady at some point, I hope. Well, um, what, I, what I want to tell you now is about some of my deep dreams. Um, one of them in particular had to do with these big black triangles. And what was revealed to me in the deep dream state, which is a borderline lucid dream, actually, is that um, there's a consortium of major uh, North American aerospace companies that are involved in some wise with these uh, big black triangles. I don't know if they actually are the ones who have built them or if they got a hold of one or more of them and reverse engineered them or if they are cooperating with one or more groups from off the planet, which may or may not be human, I don't know. But the purport of the dream was that in some way, these major companies like, oh, I don't know, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, uh, Fairchild, um, Martin, uh, Lockheed Martin, etc., uh, Bell, are, in, are involved in some kind of way with these black triangles. I couldn't tell you more than that because in the dream I was thinking, man, this is crazy. As it was being um, shown me, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking extraterrestrial. And here, the purport of this dream is that it's a very shadowy, well-founded, uh, well-funded, extremely high-tech, um, very black-budget kind of of consortium of North American aerospace well, companies. That would make in sense. Other words, that would make sense, uh, Richard. We, we, if we go back, harken back to uh, the uh, some of the last words uttered by Ben Rich, who was the director of Skunk Works at Lockheed Martin, and he said, "We now have the technology to send ET home." What does that mean? Interstellar travel. To me, that's what that. Well, means. He, he, he spilled the beans. What, it, what he was saying is, well, you know, we have these really fast military jets. But the, but the good stuff is way beyond that by orders of magnitude, like, you know, 10 or 20 orders of magnitude. And so, yes, I think we have comments by Ben Rich on more than one occasion uh, that clearly point to um, a, a quantum leap having been made in aerospace. 
Well, the other interesting thing is um, um, regarding the whole skunk works and that. And, and, and to me, it's it's you know the the, the lunar landing uh, supposed hoax. To me, the hoax there is not that we land we didn't land on the moon in 1969. I, I certainly believe we did. Uh, to me, the the nature of the hoax is that we were probably there much much sooner uh, than 1969. Uh, we have lost Dr. Richard Sauter once again, but we will re-establish, re-establish the uh, Internet connection. I'm confident of that. When we come back, uh, when we get Dr. Sauter back on, I want to ask him. Um, I receive a lot of emails about um, the supposed discovery of an underwater entrance off the coast of Malibu uh, at Point Doom. And some are calling this the holy grail of uh, UFO researchers. They've been looking for it uh, for the last 40 years. And uh, again, supposedly, this is an underwater entrance to some uh, massive base. And uh, as we heard Dr. Sauter describe, um, we may not be talking about extraterrestrial craft. These may be made in the good old USA. But is there a base, an underwater base, off the coast of Malibu at uh, Point Doom? We'll find out. Well, we have him back, Dr. Sauter. Uh, I was just mentioning. Yeah, you know, your... it seems every time we get on a sensitive topic, someone pulls a plug with this. Well, we will persevere. Um, I, I wanted to. Do, we're going into a break shortly, but I just wanted to start this conversation and, and pick it up on the other end. We were talking about uh, uh, advanced uh, craft and so forth, and I wanted to get your take on this um, underwater entrance, supposedly located off the coast of Malibu, Point Doom. Uh, well, I think that's disinformation. Do you? Okay. Yes, but there certainly are underwater facilities, um, terrestrial and ET. But it's not one. There's not one located at Point Doom. What is- I highly doubt it. But in the California Channel Islands, I would give you a pretty good bet on that. Yes, but right off of Malibu, uh, I I think that's disinformation. And 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 uh, what is the nature of that disinformation, or what is the objective? Well, I looked at I looked at the I don't know maybe just rank sensationalism and not very sophisticated analysis for starters, but um, the technology does exist and has for half a century or more to make sophisticated deep underwater facilities down in the bedrock beneath the seafloor and locations where I have been pointed to where some of these may be, or in the Gulf of Mexico, off the east coast of North America on the continental shelf, but down in the bedrock, uh, and in the Caribbean, around Puerto Rico, but not only around Puerto Rico, off the coast of California, but more in the Channel Islands region, to the south of Malibu, and off the coast of Argentina, it sees, it seems, and beneath uh, Lake Erie. In the Great Lakes region. Oh, that's interesting uh, because that's off just of, a, off of Cleveland. A stone's throw from uh, from where we are in Lake Erie. Uh, well, under- a lot of people have a lot of people have seen UFOs coming and going from the waters of Lake Erie. It's been observed many times, and you know the geology is very conducive to underground. In this case, under under sea or under lake construction, because you have a vast thick stratum of rock salt beneath Lake Erie, and that's very easy to excavate. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's as Great Lakes go, it's the shallowest, so uh, that would perhaps weigh into the, uh, into the equation or the decision to build it there. Yes, sir, and also the North Atlantic. Um, you know, the, the late Graham Birdsaw, who's editor of UFO magazine that was published out of Leeds, England, back in the 20th century and up into the early part of this century, was a good friend of mine. We spent a lot of time talking and visited both in the United States and in England. Um, He told me more than once that there were a lot of of good uh, eyewitness accounts of UFOs coming and going from the sea around Iceland. All right. We will uh, take another time out. We'll come back. Uh, the next segment is about five, six minutes. It's a short one, but we'll uh, dig deeper, no pun intended, as we discuss underground bases and tunnels with one of the world's preeminent authorities on the subject, coming to us live from Ecuador, Dr. Richard Sauter, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, let me give out the uh, the phone numbers once again while we try to establish uh, contact with uh, Dr. Richard Sauter. It's kind of touch and go, but we get him back on, and then we lose him, and then we get him back on, and that's fine. We're still getting the information out there. Uh, Dr. Richard Sauter, of course, is uh, one of the world's preeminent researchers into uh, underground bases and tunnels. And uh, he was uh, referring to uh, the, the possibility of a uh, an undersea or underwater base being located somewhere in Lake Erie, which is uh, not too far from here, where I sit. Uh, let me just uh, crib here from uh, Dr. Richard uh, Sauter's uh, work. Uh, is there any more documentation from the U.S. Navy with regard to undersea bases? As it happens, there is. In 1972, the U.S. Navy published another report that discussed undersea ports. The report is entitled, Subsurface Deployment of Naval Facilities. The document cites live sorts of facilities uh, which the future Navy might situate underground. The reasons for going underground range from the tactical to the practical. Many Navy bases face a real estate squeeze from the surrounding civilian communities and sea. They are hemmed in on all sides. The location, the logical solution is to build underground since the surface possibilities for expansion are constrained. So the Navy planners envisaged planning the following sorts of facilities below the service. Administrative buildings, medical facilities, aircraft maintenance facilities, ammunition storage facilities, miscellaneous storage facilities. Most interesting for the premise of this section of the book, however, is the following statement. Underground facilities may someday play a greater role in naval operations because of future de- uh, developments such as improving effectiveness of satellite surveillance systems, which could certainly require the subservice deployment of any system this nation desired to keep a secret. The emergence, because of its continuing invulnerability, of the sea-based strategic missile system as our first line of deterrence against nuclear attack, and the importance of protecting its supportive basing and communication system, which may dictate the need for underground or undersea emplacement of key supporting elements of this force. And then, his closing thoughts, I want to say something about the many submarine UFOs that have been seen over the years, going back for decades. UFO witnesses have seen unexplained objects leaving and entering the world's oceans, seas, bays, rivers, and lakes. In recent years, submarine UFO, UFO activity has been, has been observed in the coastal waters off Puerto Rico and Iceland. Dr. Sauter just mentioned that moments ago. Iceland. And in late 1999, he says, I spoke with the host of a radio show in the Midwestern region of the United States who told me of recent sightings of a UFO seen entering and leaving the waters of Lake Erie. There you have it. In light of observations such as these, I hypothesize that at least some of the observed submarine UFO UFO activity may be related to clandestine subsea bases made by terrestrial humans. All right, Dr. Sauter is back, I understand. Are you there, Dr. Sauter? Yes, I am, and I don't know why we keep getting the plug pulled on us. I um, that's okay. I, I was just I we'll, just cribbed from uh, we'll your persevere. book. Yes, we will. Thank, I, I was just cribbing thank, from thank uh, you. from underwater and underground bases, and uh, going back to what you mentioned moments ago about this base, uh, perhaps underwater base in in Lake Erie. Now, well, you know, uh, years ago, the uh, American biologist Ivan T. Sanderson wrote a book called Invisible Residents which really, um, in a lot of ways, uh, presaged my own work following in, by a um, delay of some, some decades. But he made a very compelling case because he just uh, went around the world citing many, many examples of sometimes vast UFOs that were seen leaving and or entering the sea uh, at times in front of um, naval uh, military naval vessels. So this has been going on for a, a long time. Are you familiar with uh, Canada's uh, UFO? One of our more famous incidents, and that would be Shag Harbor back in the late 1960s. Uh, I've read of it. Yes, this but we can talk about that if you like. Well, it certainly fits. It fits the description of a perhaps of a, a, an underground base. This was a UFO that was seen uh, uh, entering. Or you know, presumably crashing into the water, although it would, perhaps it was just landing, and uh, there was a naval search. This is uh, you know uh, well documented government sources 
uh, RCMP investigation and so forth. Uh, and this craft um, just disappeared. And uh, it certainly sounds like it sort of fits the uh, the model of what you're describing, uh, a terrestrial a vehicle of terrestrial origin entering into an undersea base. Yes. Well, you know, um, the United States Navy is heavily, shall we say, heavily invested in and involved in a variety of woo-woo technologies. That would have to do with uh, submarine technologies that exceed what we have been told publicly. Of course, underground bases. And, and my research uh, covers uh, the uh, R&D work, research and design work, that came out of the China Lake Naval Weapons Station in the high desert of California back in the mid-1960s, and also followed by a very similar R&D work done at, at the Stanford Research Institute, also in, in California near Stanford University in the Bay Area, uh, both of which uh, produced documents that mentioned making very large manned uh, facilities deep down in the bedrock beneath ocean floor capable of carrying out military missions or scientific missions or command and control types of missions uh industrial also including industrial missions such as mining and that could be made even um for as little as a few billion dollars and here we're talking about a black budget that costs uh that runs into the trillions of dollars and mind you in the in the re- literature that I've researched re- um, the the authors and the researchers were talking about making hundreds of miles long tunnel systems down in the bedrock beneath the ocean floor well out to sea and in, in mid sea and mid ocean so when we start to think about this we have to envision a time frame of half a century at least technology that can make tunnel systems hundreds of miles long and that when you have a half a century in which to work, you see using even the tunnel boring machine technology that was available 30, 40, 45 years ago, you could have by this time made easily thousands of miles of clandestine tunnels beneath the world's oceans. All of these, uh, we're going into a break, but very quickly, all of these bases uh, joined by, uh, even the undersea ones, uh, joined by uh, maglev trains? Well, they can be, and you know, again, I'm not on the inside of these projects, which is why I'm talking to you. The people who are on the inside of the projects don't talk you, to you. So I'm about the best you have in that respect. All right. We'll what take I a, can tell you is just hold it's on to that massively uh, research. Okay, just hold on to that, Richard. We'll uh, come back on the other side. Dr. Richard Sauter stays with us on the Conspiracy Show. Different views make great conversation. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, we're back with Dr. Richard Sauter joining us live via Skype from uh, Ecuador, and uh, thank you for your patience. We've um, reconnected with uh, Dr. Sauter. I wanted to talk about these um, uh, maglev uh, trains that supposedly uh, connect these uh, underground military bases. Uh, now, I have heard, I mean, the rumor is out there, and you can tell me what you found, that these trains uh, have speeds up to Mach 2. Does that sound plausible? Listen, Richard, yes. You have to understand that the R&D work, research and design work for this, these uh, vacuum tube, uh, deep underground, high-speed maglev trains goes right back into the early 30s in Nazi Germany. Uh, a, an engineer by the name of Hermann Kemper uh, came up with the concept of die Rohrbahn, which were underground tube transport maglev trains in his conception, they would have gone up to about 600, 900 miles per hour, and that was using uh, early 1930s era technology. I don't know if the Nazis ever developed those high-speed underground trains or not. If they did, uh, the Americans under Project Paperclip kept it all very silent. What we can say is that right down to the present day, the Germans and the Japanese, the two major Axis powers during World War II, um, both of which were very heavily in, invested and involved in underground construction during the war, to this day remain uh, perhaps the two preeminent 
um, uh, developers of maglev, high-speed maglev train technology. Now, having said that, remember you did have Project Paperclip, and Project Paperclip brought a large number, an unknown number, of Nazi scientists, engineers, and technicians to the United States after World War II. Among them were um, an engineer by the name of Xaver Dorsch and three of his cohorts who were uh, – Xaver Dorsch was Adolf Hitler's uh, hand-picked underground, con- underground base construction lead engineer in the last two or three years of the war. And he was brought to the – or he was uh, in American military custody after World War II – uh, he actually was debriefed and wrote some documents that I've read pertaining to his work uh, with respect to construction, civil construction, uh, during the war. And I presume he was brought to the United States because I have a couple of Project Paperclip doc- documents that I cite explicit in my book, Hidden in Plain Sight, Beyond the X-Files. And he was requested by name to come to the United States to work on the United States military's underground plant program. And we know that, indeed, that underground plant program went forward and in a massive way and continues right down to the to this year. Uh, the underground component of the American military apparatus is sophisticated and large. We don't know the true scale of it, but I can tell you from my research, uh, it's very large in scope well-funded and deep, and a lot of it is very highly secretive. Now, as regards the magnetic levitation train, deep underground train system, there were a number of patents given for this type of technology, including going back to the post-Civil War period in the United States. The, The founding editor of the Scientific American Journal in the United States was a man named Alfred Eli Beach. And already in the late 1860s, 1869, he proved the technical feasibility of underground pneumatic vacuum tube trains. He built a early, rather low-speed, steam-powered prototype beneath downtown New York City, beneath Broadway in Manhattan. Now, his work uh, was state-of-the-art in the 1860s. It's been carried so much further. Other patents were taken out uh, in the post-World War II period by Robert Goddard, the father of, of modern rocketry. In his concept, a, a very high-speed <coughs> maglev train would have gone coast-to-coast in North America in 10 minutes from New York City to San Francisco. Well, that's a lot better than Mach 2, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's, it's really screaming. I think it's something like, um, well, that's about 2,500 miles so to do that, that's about what, 10, uh, well, 12,000? Um, 12, 600 miles, miles is, uh, Mach 1 is 600, correct? So, uh, <coughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Let's put it that way. Now, it's uh, really and, screaming. And these, but there and, were others. There were others. Robert Salter for the Rand Corporation came out with a study back in the 1980s, I think it was, with a very similar system that would go coast to coast in about 20 minutes, but there would be a couple of stops along the way with branch lines. And then in the, between about the late 1960s and early 1980s, there was something called a very high speed transit, um, interagency, um, study, study group in the United States. It involved major universities, engineering departments, some of the major transit companies and, and trans, transport agencies in the United States, military agencies, independent researchers and engineers. And for the purpose of establishing a a high-speed, deep underground uh, tube trains shuttle system in the north, so-called northeast corridor of the United States, that was a very active literature for 10 or 15 years. And I I got a lot of it and mentioned some of it in my, my second and third books. And then it all went away. But don't you know, it all went away just a few years before we started hearing rumors of a high-speed underground um, maglev tube shuttle train network in North America. My presumption is that um, there were advances made and that some type of system 
like this exists. I, I think they did do it. It would explain a lot of this, of these vast sums of, of black budget money that no one can seem to account for. Well, some say it's about $1.25 trillion per year uh, going into this. It could be more. It could be more. And right now, with the so-called um, quantitative easing, the world's central banks, and no one more so than the Federal Reserve Bank in New York City, uh, run out of God knows where as a real control center. But they are uh, just injecting trillions of dollars uh, into high finance, not into your pocket and not into my pocket, but into the pockets of someone somewhere. The, the open economy on this planet cannot absorb that amount of money. So where is it going? You see, that's the question. It's certainly not going into any open public works or into any open type of mainstream economy, shall we say. It's being printed up and injected by vast quantities into somewhere to do something. And, and one of the best bets is that for whatever reason, um, it's going into these vastly funded projects that sure. are not publicly discussed. I've got about five minutes here, and I have a couple of key questions. One is the uniform um, in, in these um, underground bases. Is there, in fact, uh, you know, a, um, I, I'm remembering the, the, the lines from Ned Beatty in Network. There is no West. There is no, you know, uh, uh, um, Middle East. There is no the United States. In other words, when you get to, into these underground bases, is there even... Uh, an allegiance to the United States uh, Navy or the the uh, you know the German Army or is it all just one? I you know I can't answer that truthfully because I'm not on the inside and those who are on the who are on the inside can't answer it either because they're so constrained in what they can say and who they can talk to if they even come up topside from the under underground and undersea facilities. What I can tell you that in general. From what my research indicates to me and some conversations I've had along the way with a variety of people is that, yeah, when you get into that world, you're way down Alice's rabbit hole, literally. And uh, whatever rules you think apply in the Canadian government or the American government or at the UN or at the Organization of American States don't apply. You're in another realm entirely that has few points of correspondence with experience in our everyday life, in our ordinary everyday life. Uh, as for uniforms, that I don't know either. There are a lot of factions. I would presume that the, the Navy has its own facilities. The United States Marine Corps has its own facilities. The NSA has its own facilities. Sure. The Federal Reserve does. Some of the ETs have their own facilities. The Russians have their facilities and so forth. I would expect a lot of this is some of it is is um, interpenetrating and mutually cooperative, but some of it isn't. You know, these factions, and there are many factions, factions within factions. It's like a, a Russian doll or like peeling an onion. You, 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 you get down to one layer only to perceive that there's yet another layer. And I don't know how deep they go. I don't know all of the agencies involved. I know some of them. And I don't think anyone does. No. The final question. I've got about two minutes here. Um, the the capability, the military capability that they have at their disposal. I mean, you're talking about these huge, <coughs> these huge triangular craft, you know, miles wide in some cases. We are not seeing these obviously being utilized in any any war theater around the planet. Um, so what does that mean? Does that mean that everything that's going on uh, above ground in terms of local skirmishes and so forth, that's just, uh, you know, just a staged managed events? Because obviously if these groups that have these underground bases and the technology, uh, I mean, they've got this planet locked down. So w- w- what does that say about, you know, the, the current state of geopolitics and, and, and local wars and so forth? Show and tell to a certain extent. Um, or maybe to a large extent. One of the things, you know, um, one of the reasons for my coming to South America was, was to involve myself in South American shamanism, at least to a degree. And one of the things that ayahuasca, for example, showed me is that this whole so-called reality in which we live is rigged up, down, and sideways. It is fake 
false and fraudulent beyond all belief. And all I can tell you is that what you think you know when you look at around at the world, the understanding you think you have of how things run, Richard, it ain't that way. No, I uh, <laughs> I would concur. I would concur. I'm just scrabbling around in the dark trying to, uh, to piece we, it together. We're doing, the best, we're doing the best we can with insufficient data points, and that is by design. What Final question. I mean, by some estimates, there are 129 of these underground uh, bases, and, and I don't know where that information comes oh, I think from. More, but I, I think more than that. What, but, but, but what is... What are they preparing for? What is the? Are they preparing for some? Well, mul- multiple things, Richard. Any given base may have more than one function. One base may have a, a command, control, and communication function. Another base, base may be primarily a nuclear weapons storage and deployment base. Another base may be primarily a, a diplomatic sort of facility. Another may, base may be to store government records in great security. And these types of facilities exist. Another base may be uh, intended as a kind of diplomatic exchange point between an alien group and terrestrial groups. Another base may be for clandestine uranium and gold mining. Okay, on that Um, note, uh, sorry, Richard, i got to jump in. We are uh, at the end. Uh, Let me just direct people to your website, eventhorizonchronicle.blogspot.com. That's correct. EventHorizonChronicle.blogspot.com. I've linked up to it at RichardSarah.com. Just click on tonight's guest, Dr. Richard Sauter. Always a pleasure. We will do it again if you're good for that. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right. My thanks to Tim Spreen for technical production, all of you for listening at home. Back next week, uh, we will talk about the 47th anniversary of the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy uh, with uh, John Kerner on the program uh, and much more. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>